In the last episode of Solving Water, we talked about the work Xylem is doing to change the discussion around water at the federal government level. We continue this theme of shifting our collective approach to water with a case study in water utility transformation that led to the creation of a dedicated water industry advisory organization, Moonshot Missions. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm your host, Amanda Holloway, and I'm joined today by George Hawkins, founder of Moonshot Missions and former CEO of DC Water, one of the largest water utilities in the U.S., George has also been a strategic advisor to Xylem since 2018, and today we're going to get the inspiring story behind the rebranding of DC Water from the man himself, as well as an insider's view of Moonshot Missions. So hello and welcome, George. Thank you, Amanda. Delighted to be with you. I'm really, really glad to be with you today. It's going to be really fun. Yes, I really appreciate you joining us. I'm so excited to learn about all the amazing work um, that you're doing in the water industry, and I gave our listeners a a brief intro about you, um, but I think your past experiences and career trajectory are pretty central to founding Moonshot Missions, right? So I want to start at the beginning and just talk about like how you uh, came about with Moonshot Missions and and where where you started. Sure. Um, well, I think what unites all of us in the water industry, um, and, and I found this to be true with folks from private companies, uh, public water utilities, vendors, technology, what everyone shares is a sense of commitment to a cause. <clears throat> yes, we have to make a living, we got to pay mortgages, send our kids to school, do all those things, of course. What I think is different in our um, in our industry is how much everyone has an underlying sense of public purpose. And that's been a core part of my career. I'm not patting myself on the back. It just has been important to me, um, that sort of why question. So I've been mostly in the public sector and the nonprofit world, uh, very much focused on environmental and water issues. Uh, I worked in government. I was an EPA lawyer. I, I have run a state agency, but I've run local community groups in water. I've taught um, in school. But all with this underlying sense of the commitment we have to try to improve the world around us. And what better way to do that than with water? Um, What I discovered at DC Water, and you mentioned up front, DC Water is a large uh, water utility, um, has lived in an area that has been economically well off. That doesn't mean there aren't low income customers, but as a whole, DC Water was well off. And we were able to do a lot of great things, in part by partnering with pe- companies like Xylem, but many. I mean, we we had capability, we had resources. And what I learned is that there's a lot of communities in the country that do not have those resources and capabilities, and they're not sharing in many of the improvements that we know are possible today. So it can help a utility deliver better service at lower cost. But what that's like angels should be singing in the background, right. but there's limitations for what allows that to unfold. And it's not because they aren't good people. They aren't hardworking. They aren't smart. They're just restrained by resources. And what Moonshot is designed to support is allowing as a trusted advisor to a utility chief, really to help them identify or their team, how the, the utility itself, how to identify and implement these strategies that really can improve services to the people on something that we know matters so much, which is clean and plentiful water. Absolutely. So um, Moonshot came about because of your overall experience um, in the water industry. So maybe we take a step back and start with um, 
the story of you and your role at DC Water, because you were mentioning earlier it wasn't always DC Water and that you um, you had a rebrand. Sure. Um, it was sort of fascinating. DC Wasa, which is what we used to be known as, or DC Water used to be known as, the District of Columbia Water and Sewer Authorities. That's where Wasa came from. Um, and early on, uh, w- one thing I would say to anybody listening, no matter what role you're in in any organization, how much that comes by serendipity becomes meaningful after it happens. And what people will think later is, oh, gosh, you thought of all that. or You had this great plan. Like, well, not really. I did know a good idea or a good opportunity when it arrived. And one was I, was, I came to my job. My prior job was running an agency for the city, and I wore a suit every day. Because in that job, I was the chief enforcement authority and I wanted to look very official. And I was wearing a suit to be the general manager of DC Water. And someone from our, our, our uniform shop came to my office and, and had made me a uniform. I, I didn't even know we had a uniform shop. Then the next day I put it on. And this was like a uniform that my kids would say looked like a gas station attendant because it had my name on one side. You know, I always think that's fun that, in case I forget. But so someone knows who I am, my title, the patch. And it was a sensation in the organization that I was wearing a standard issue uniform like everybody else. Um, and on that day, I decided to do that every single day. So from there on in, I always wore a standard issue uniform unless I was going to a funeral or something. So everyone was always, whenever I wore a suit, like what happened or (laughs) are you interviewing? But that was very rare. And it became a calling card and and it connected me with our team in ways. And again, I didn't think of that in advance. It was one of the calling cards of my time, but it came serendipitously and it led to the next serendipitous outcome, which was huge when after it happened, which is, so I wore the uniform, has the patch, my name. I used to go to water main breaks to look and see what was going on, talk to people, really learn the whole thing. And I was walking home from one on a Friday night. I, I lived in a, a part of DC and it was walking back from um, Adams Morgan where the water main break was. And someone tapped me on the shoulder because I had my uniform on and said, I've always wanted to work for you. I'm like, really? Oh, what are you interested in? And this is a true story. He goes, uh, I'd like to work for the Department of Corrections. And I was like, what? Well, of all the things anyone's ever thought I've been, working for the Department of Corrections wasn't on my mind. But I looked at our <laughs> logo and I realized someone had walked up to me, me wearing a uniform, and thought I worked for the Department of Corrections. That's what they got from our logo. So I started looking at it. It's, it was a patch on my arm. So it's not very big. It had the District of Columbia Water and Sewer Authority written on it so nobody could see it. A tiny little word. You'd have to have like a magnifying glass or walk up right next to my shoulder to see what that said. There was a two-sentence tagline, unreadable, red, white, and blue, like every patch in Washington, D.C., and it had a hand over water. And I'm convinced from a distance, I don't know this, it looked like two hands in a handcuff. I don't know. But the, the bottom line to me was, is that people seeing our trucks, our logos, didn't know it was us. Why would anyone, so they, there's a whole lot of things that were a component of that. We need customers to know that when they call and there's a problem and we roll a truck to a, that they see us, that they know it's us responding. When I write out my check to DC, whoever this is, it's going to work that I'm buying. Why else do I want to write out the check? I don't want to just send a check somewhere. I want to see my work, my funds in action. I know that they're people. 
DC Wassa, this blue, red, white, and blue, was a distant organization that nobody knew and nobody particularly liked. So that's what led me to the notion of we've got to rebrand. We've got to make it's part of a bigger question of how we develop a relationship with a customer. And when we did the rebranding, where my mind was, was Nike or an organization like that. Nike has a swoop. It doesn't have a shoe or a shirt or any of their products. It's a swoop that instantly is identifiable. And just do it is a, a, an ethic. It's a value. It's a sense of something. And then you buy a shoe. So in my case, what I didn't want was a logo or a, or a tagline that was complicated. It wanted to grab something about us that was meaningful to our customers. So DC water with the drop t tilted to the side, bright green and blue colors, very environmental. By the way, we did a contest. It was cheap. We got 178 entries. There was turds and toilets and all sorts of funny things. <laughs> um, but we spent a total of $5,000 on it. So it was not expensive. And we took different pieces. But DC and the water drop, it's easy. And it's green and blue. And as soon as you see it, DC, I know where that is. A water drop? I bet that's the water company. And then our water is life. That it wasn't about our product. That is, that's about who we are. We're an environmental organization delivering something that matters to you. Like, just do it. It's trying to capture a principle of us, a value of us. And it was one of the more successful things we ever did. Like I said, it wasn't that expensive. We were very cheap in the rollout, so we wouldn't flip the decals until a, car, a truck was in for maintenance anyways, that sort of thing. But now it's one of the most easily recognizable uh, logos around, capturing both a principle and an idea. Here's something else that, it, so and it was like, oh, you had this great plan. I didn't have a great plan. All these were fortuitous ideas that just came up. And a leader, or anybody, not just leaders, good people, it's not that you'll have all the ideas. You probably won't. I almost never did. I do give myself credit for knowing them when they come up. And then jumping on it. It sounds like you could be uh, moonlighting as a marketer because this is a, a, a very marketing uh, driven activity, the rebrand. And it sounds like you really approached it well. Well, I love the idea of connecting with the people we serve. My, one of my favorite jobs growing up was working in restaurants and bars in law school. And what I learned is that if you're not good to your customer, a restaurant can be out of business in a month because there's so much competition. And I always took that in my mind ever since. A water utility does, has a monopoly. So in some respects, they're not used to pleasing a customer, but they have the most important decision that a customer can ever make, which is, do th are they happy or not writing out their check to you? And will they support you when you're building something in their neighborhood or when you have a rate increase because of something? That's Or are they going to complain to the mayor or the council member about something? Or are they going to support you? That's as important or more important than whether they spend a dollars on a burger. And the notion that you please every single person that you touch in the same way a restaurant needs to do that to stay afloat was an ethic that I had already had came with. And it was easy to do in some respects because we had such good people and they love their work. And the idea that we connect to the people around us and show what we do and are proud of it and show pride and hard work came fairly natural once we just started thinking that way. And by the way, the brand caught it. Because now everybody knew where our trucks were. Everybody knew what we were doing. And one thing I say to people is don't rebrand unless you're confident that you can also raise your performance game. Because if you rebrand and say something and you're still poor performers, then it'll be like, oh, that's just window dressing. It didn't change anything. 
But with the brand coming in and you start doing, we were doing digital services for water meters and we were mobilizing our trucks faster. We had started, we tweet us, we want to roll a truck in 30 minutes. Pair performance with a brand so that they become linked. It's not just a window dressing. This is embodying a whole level of performance. And it kept on raising our game. If you know our trucks in front of our house, you can watch and see how fast we produce or how fast we do our work, which means we need to raise our performance game because you all know where we are and who we are now. And that creates a positive feedback loop that really propels you forward. I mean, this is just so interesting to me. How did you know where to start? So it's like, here, we're going to make the brand um, not only more identifiable, but also more true to our mission and what what we're here to do. But then we're also going to um, elevate all these other uh, programs or activities within the organization, right? You said you were mobilizing your your trucks faster. You you were looking at uh, digital solutions. So, like, where did you? How did you know where to start with this? Was it just like a war room of folks just like sitting there and coming up with all these ideas, or how how did that work? That's a um, a great question, and I would say I actually started before the rebrand. What I have learned, and if if I ever took the time to go through my career, um, your overriding message would be how how come I can't keep a job because I've had a lot of them. Um, but the advantage is I've seen a lot of things that have worked and not worked, um, and and coming into an organization from the outside, which I was, I'd never worked for a water utility before. I only ever sued them, agitated about them and regulated them. And here I was running one. Um, And the question on my mind that I've seen in other organizations is people come in and they have this big agenda of change and it's resisted by the people in the organization. Very common. Why? You come into my organization, I've been working here for 10 years and you're telling me how to do everything better. Are you criticizing everything we've been doing? It becomes adversarial, even if the ideas the person brings are good. So my change process is to go to an organization and always listen first. So I spent the first six to eight months doing nothing but meeting with employees in small groups and listening and hearing. And so this notion of having a rebrand was already sort of on my mind because the folks were proud of what they did, but they felt like we were, they were criticized and weren't recognized for the good work, but yet we're such good people. And the second thing we did is when we started change, this was long before any of our customers saw it, it was for things that improved the, and the issues that were raised by our staff so that it was us changing for our benefit. So your staff becomes part of the change. Change is not something I brought in and tried to clunk on top of them. Um, and so that most people didn't say the first year and a half, no, we were just improving things inside the organization. So people saw the GM's interested in what matters to us as in engaging our ideas. And then came the answer to your question, which is where did all this come from? First, all the people see are the things that succeeded. There are plenty of things that didn't. And I didn't have a big master plan on it. Um, but what I was trying to do was pick ideas that people were bringing to me. So most of them, like I said, were not mine. I'm a lawyer. I don't know how to do treatment better than anybody else. But once you have, make it clear that you're open to ideas, and it turns out in almost any place, people are creative, smart, in, in, ingenious. That's a human trait. And the question is how to draw that out and then start. Then you do have to be thoughtful about, yeah, let's do that one. Let's do that one. The most important ones to me were how we communicated with our customers and how we improved our service to our customers. So that's where we started. Once that started happening, we could raise rates for work we needed to do 
use that revenue to start investing in some of the bigger projects that came along. So it was a progression. But starting with your own team, listening before promoting any grand ideas, making sure the team knows that we're together on this. Your ideas are as important or more important than mine. Let's hear them. And let's be careful. I always said this to everyone at DC Water, be careful what your idea is because we just might do it. And then once that starts happening, the forward momentum, I, I was astonished. It just took off. Yeah, and you know, on the flip side, you mentioned that there were a few hiccups. Um, so I'd be curious to know what was one of the more challenging aspects of the rebrand that popped up. The rebrand, um, one was it's DC water. And uh, this comes up with a lot of utilities that are one water utilities. It's, well, water is like drinking water. What about wastewater? We're all, we have a Blue Plains, the biggest secondary tertiary treatment plant in the world. Wastewater should be in the name. Everybody wanted to see their division in the name as if the name was reflecting inside. And what I was able to persuade the team and over, over time, they totally bought into it. Because when it was DC Wasa, it was the water and sewer authority. So everything was in it. DC water, some thought that's just talking about the drinking water side and realized, no, water is everything about what we do. Why do we clean the wastewater? So when it discharges to the Potomac and the Chesapeake Bay, that those water bought it, water is clean. So that was a little bit of a challenge at first. There were definitely people who liked the old logo. They worked for 30 years with the same logo on their, on their coat. They didn't want to change it. Um, but when everyone started seeing the positive feedback loop, um, and now I think it's, it's like a football team. It's a badge of pride. I miss it. I miss wearing the colors of DC water and wearing the, one of the things I miss the most. I, I enjoyed putting it on every day and it meant something to me. And those are the kind of symbols that, uh, and, and logos and branding that I think work the best. Wow. Well, that's a, a terrific segue into um what we're going to be talking about next, which is Moonshot Mission. So fast forward now. Um, this is, uh, if I'm guessing that some of your experience with DC Water and the rebrand has led to, um, led to the, the, the establishment of Moonshot Missions. But um, how did you come up with the concept? I mean, you, you've got to be proud to be um, wearing those colors now, as, as you were saying with the DC water logo. So I just want to know, like, how did you decide this is what you wanted to do? Um, it's a great question. And it goes back to this ethic that I think those of us in the water sector, many people have it weren't, but it's, it is a unifying theme in the water sector of, of public service. And I speak a lot about many of the things we did at DC water and, 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 a very common response from an audience, usually it's positive. I tell a reasonably good story with some enthusiasm, but a common response was be someone come up to have said, I enjoyed listening to the story, but there's no relationship to where we are. Because I'm telling the story of DC water after brutally hard and long years when that, all these things had happened. And, and I was starting from a pretty good utility already, even though it didn't have a great customer face, had really good technical people, was, was well run on an operational basis. And if you're not there yet, it's, it's like a, someone starting off on a sport, speaking to someone who's a pro. It's interesting. I like the story. It bears no relationship to the sport I'm playing. Or what do I do? How do I? So I really was struck with how many utilities need help getting on the path. And where did we start? And what are some of the lessons we learned? And what I would have valued? Because the question you asked, 
before, which is, did you have a plan and how did you choose? I didn't really. And in retrospect, it would have been a heck of a lot better (laughs) had I thought that out a bit more. But I really didn't have anybody to think it out with. I was was sort of operating on my own, doing the best I could. Um, And that's what Moonshot is really designed for. It's to help utilities that are getting on this. And it's the Moonshot. Can you turn DC WASA, which was sort of back not well liked into DC water? That was a Moonshot at the time. And over many years with great people, I think we mostly pulled it off. And for another utility that's more like what DC WASA was, by the way, good people doing good work but not well-known in their community, maybe not adopting a lot of the innovations that are possible, perhaps cash-strapped because it's a community that's lost population or or in economic challenges. How do they get on that same moonshot track to be able to transform into the kind of place that they know they could be? It's just how to get there. And telling the story of being there may be interesting. It doesn't help me get there. How do I start? And so Moonshot was really started with that idea in mind with a focus of being a trusted advisor in one sense. We're utility veterans. Everyone in Moonshot has worked with utilities. Some for, we have probably 150 years of experience now with Moonshot employees. Uh, And we are trusted. We're not trying to sell anything or not sell anything. We're going to give you the best advice we can. And third, with a focus on underserved communities, the places that aren't doing these things, not because they aren't good people and all the rest, they're just so resource constrained. And those are many of the places that need it the most. And where these technologies that allow you to do things for less cost are most valuable because they're the places that don't have money, but they're also the places that have the hardest time adopting them. It's sort of like dangling this great possibility in front of someone, but they can't ever quite get it. How frustrating is that? or unfair to their customers who deserve clean water like anybody else. And so the issue for Moonshot Missions is how we can help those organizations identify, talking to them, learning from them, listening. All the same things I just said about DC Water. We're not coming in like we're smarter than you. We'll listen. We'll learn about you. We'll hear your wisdom. And then we'll bring in some ideas that can be helpful along the way and help you get on your path. And that's what the idea was. And that's what we're doing. I love the way that you um, focus on that underserved community piece, because I think at the heart of pretty much everything we do in water, um, that's really where it's at. So um, I appreciate that sentiment. And it kind of surfaces a question for me about what you feel has been some of the most important or interesting work you've done with Moonshot to date. Um, I would say, it's hard to answer that because it's all so interesting. Um, I would say the most striking to me is work we've done with tribal lands. Um, and U.S. Water Alliance did a great report, but uh, and I did not realize, a shame on me, the, the dire circumstances um, for communities of people who live within the boundaries. I know they're, they're sovereign, but within the boundaries of the United States who have no water or electricity in their homes. And or who are we have we're helping a, a Navajo community in Bodaway Gap where they all um, go just like you hear in in Africa or South America where they walk every day or drive every way to get water from an agricultural water source that's untreated and laced with arsenic and uranium and incredibly hardy courageous wonderful people that we've met but there's a solution to that we were and so we're working with them in fact. 
Xylem, which I know is uh, much of the audience here, is helping us through their watermark, their nonprofit arm, of funding a a standalone little treatment system that we're going to build around this agricultural water source so that not only the water that people come and get for their homes is clean, which it will be, but also the water going out into the farm fields is clean. That's technology that exists. It can be, but the folks who were there in Borderway Gap did not know about it. And why would they? They're not water utility people. Um, so hearing about people who are courageously living their lives, and by the way, these are wonderful, happy people, even though they don't have things that the rest of us would think would be sort of standard in life. Um, yet they're still tremendously challenged by health issues and access issues that should not stand. And learning that they exist and realizing the technologies are here now that can solve those problems that are cost effective has been really exciting. Um, and we've been doing similar work. I say we've, we've supported big, almost country level water utilities, medium and bigger size cities, some that are well-funded, but they want a trusted advisor. So we do that. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're, we've done a lot, but we'll just give you our best advice. And there aren't many people to do that. My, my view is every set of C-suite executives needs that. And then communities that are underserved with not much where we're doing a lot more identifying projects, helping to implement, drafting an RFP, doing a lot of the steps in the process of how to actually make change. And so how does one become an employee of Moonshot Missions? Like how, 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 you mentioned that you have over 150 years of water utility experience among your employees, but how, how do you find the folks that are going to make the difference? And then how, how do you as a team come decide what projects you're going to go after. For example, this, this, uh, the Navajo project you were just talking about. Sure. It's a great question. And part of my answer is we're not totally clear on that yet because this is a startup and we're learning. Uh, and I must say, I've been in such big institutions for so long doing a startup has been quite startling um, because when he didn't have an office and he didn't have any personnel rules. I mean, all sorts of things that I don't think about when, well, we need to have the laptop repaired. Well, there is no IT person to repair the laptop. So things like that are sort of fascinating. What we do with uh, Moonshot and we do have moonshotmissions.org. You can jump on it and take a look and there's some videos and you can see some of the people involved. But what we're building is a cadre of volunteers. There's really good, a lot of water professionals have some free time or are retiring. That's a, a trend in the water industry and they don't want to do no work. And a lot of the work that's being done for the Bodaway Gap Navajo is done by water professional volunteers who want to give back. And uh, that wouldn't be relevant for a well-funded utility that was hiring us as a trusted advisor, but for a lot of the underserved work, um, and you can send us a message if you're interested in potentially volunteering, we have a great crew and then it's based on projects. So for example, for one of our uh, clients at the moment, it was a question about a reservoir. And uh, one of our volunteers happens to have a lot of experience with water reservoirs. So part of our job is to match up the need of the project, some of which we can do ourselves. And we've hired people from our volunteers. Um, and that is a, like any business, revenue and funding and all the rest. But a lot of folks say they really are not looking to make money in doing this. They're looking to help people in their own country who need water services with their capabilities and skill. And it's really fun to match that up and then see things happen. Uh, the design for the solution for the Bodaway Gap was done by a volunteer. 
And that is going to take uranium and arsenic out for water people who need it. It's just an amazing outcome. And Xylem Watermark is going to help do, help us do this. Everyone is like, this is what I'm living for. Uh, yeah, I make my living, but this is what I live for, is to make a difference like this. And so great to take my knowledge that I've learned and hard won and apply it in this fashion. It's really, um, uh, it's ennobling to, to do. I think it's certainly wonderful for us to be part of. Well, your passion is palpable, and I'm guessing um, the passion of all your employees follows suit. So, okay, Xylem, let's let's get to that story. You are Xylem's a strategic advisor, and you mentioned that we're, you're working with Xylem Watermark on a project or two right now. So, just can you tell me the story about the partnership and how it came about, and, and you know what are some of the things you're working on uh, right now? Sure. When when I was still at DC Water, Xylem was a significant vendor to DC Water, as it is to most utilities. It's got a big and and well known and well respected footprint. Um, in the water arena worldwide, but certainly at DC Water it did. And uh, I'd met him before, at Al before, Al Cho and, and Patrick Decker, but I remember meeting the team in earnest because we had partnered to work through how the flight concerta pump would be implemented at a water utility at Blue Plains. Now, for people who don't know, Blue Plains is the largest tertiary treatment plant in the world. 390 million gallons full tertiary treatment 24 hours a day. It's giant. And and I didn't know this coming in. There's pumps all over the place because you're pumping flow from one treatment cell to the next. And it's the biggest single power user in the mid-Atlantic is Blue Plains. And what does most of your power go to is pumps, pumping aeration and pumping flow and all sorts of things. And if you can build a more efficient pump that takes less maintenance, it's amazing the immediate consequence that has to your operating costs. Permanently, all the time. These are things used. And who did we partner with? And there's a message. The reason I am working with Xylem, yes, I have to make a living too. But the reason that I'm working with Xylem, because there's other places, you know, other fine companies out there, is what I appreciated about Xylem in that instance, where it was proof in the pudding. They weren't paying me. I was paying them. Was that we had a collaborative relationship. It wasn't them just saying, we've got this thing here, buy it. It was, let's look how it works. How would it go? Maybe some features should be modified. It was a collaborative relationship between technical expertise and operational expertise to have this device that would save money, work better. It declogs itself. It's got all these cool features. And um, our staff was part of interacting with Xylem on it. So it's not something where they felt something it was going back to that original conversation, part of our conversation. It wasn't a technology firm coming in and saying they're smarter than we are. Here's this thing. It was working with us, identifying how would it work? How would it go? And then we launched it at the blue pl- at our head at our main headquarter building in our room that we have all our board meetings in, so our big boardroom. That's where Patrick Decker and myself. But the first thing we did at that meeting is highlighted the maintenance people who had worked with us on this pump. So that again, that was that whole ethic again. It's our people. It's how we do things. And I just loved the people I met from Zion. They had the ethic that I look for, which is the sense of public service. They were collaborators. They weren't coming in being smarter than we are. We were coming in to solve an issue that we had, even if we didn't think of it that way, which is we spend millions of dollars on pump issues every year. If we could change that number, it's huge and permanent. And um, that's what I wanted more of. And what I realized since I've left is I wish I'd done more of that. 
of, and this is this trusted sense of, of working with a company. And the thing about Xylem is it's got scale. You, you, what astonishes me to this day, and I've been associated with Xylem now from, like I said, from before I was a customer. I had no idea of the sheer, and still am learning about the sheer range of things that Xylem can do. It's crazy. And they've got like an endless array of services and products. And if you have one company that you can interact with, before anything gets sold, this is just having a conversation about here are the things and then putting together a customized strategy for here's our pieces. And by the way, there's five different things here. It's our job, meaning Xylem's job, to make sure they work together. Because one of the lessons that anybody in any utility has learned is that if you buy a nice gadget, it might work by itself. The question is, does it work with everything else? And you gain benefits in the digital world. The more things that you can sort of see as a whole when the artificial intelligence and all that analytical work comes in, if it's just isolated working on its own, it'll be beneficial. But if it connects into your operating system and your maintenance system and you can have a purchase order and all these things, but that means connecting that Xylem has that whole picture. Um, and I'm excited about that. And that's the reason that I'm an advisor is because I think that's the wave of the future, how to work with a utility on a range of services that includes technologies, maybe even technologies that aren't Xylems. But who is the enterprise that can see the whole and have a conversation with the folks making those decisions that isn't just selling the thing, although that's part of it, eventually. But first is a collaborative conversation, just like I've been describing from the beginning, how anyone wants to work, including the utility to a vendor. Don't come in and be like, you're smarter than I am and you, you got everything great and we've been doing everything wrong. No, let's have a conversation. Here's what's happening. Here's what we can do. How about that? Well, this works. Let's talk to our operators, see how it works and develop a relationship that then can generate a plan. So it isn't just me trying to cobble something together. I've had a trusted, uh, someone who has got the scheme and then let's drive it. Cause I, I know had I had a broader perspective when I was at DC water, we would have done more. We would have done more, not less. And I, we did a lot, but I was piecemealing things that were coming to me rather than me having that scheme of this, let's figure out our arrangement, have a plan in mind and then execute on it. And um, I think the opportunities are astonishing. And what um, a company like Xylem can offer is that it's the BFC is what I call it. It's better and it's faster and it's cheaper. And when you hear that kind of phrase and actually can deliver on it, that's when there's the angels singing in the background because that means your customers are paying less. It's more affordable. The water is cleaner. So everyone is healthier. And your people, if they're involved, are sort of really even prouder. Look at what we're doing now. This is cool. When I left the DC Water, it wasn't a Xylem product, but my last day, I was touring some of the facilities, and one of our operators couldn't wait to take me out to his truck and show me the new equipment on it that was diagnostic for how they did the work that was proactive instead of just reactive. And that wasn't a company. That wasn't a vendor. That was the guy who drove the truck and how proud he was of what they could do. That to me is when uh, that's just, I, I, I was really touched by that moment because that's the dream that we come in with it, that it becomes the people who are driving it and they're seeking it. And they're, but that's because of a relationship with the folks who can bring those pieces of technology on the truck. And I think Zion can do that like no one else. That's definitely um wonderful for me to be part of an organization that has such genuine people. Um, and I think that's, you know, 
what you're getting at and um, sounds like you're, you and um, your team are, are also very genuine in, in your desire to help um, with, with water specifically. I just have a, a couple more questions for you, sure. George. Um, first, uh, just looking ahead to what's next, wh- what do you have, what are your future plans for Moonshot over the next, I don't know, five years? Um, gosh, what a great question. Um, I mean, my future plans uh, for Moonshot is to create a broader network of volunteers um, who can be identified for capability and designated for work in underserved communities, um, sort of like Peace Corps, but for the U.S. and with water people. Um, so uh, we've had great fortune on that so far. We think the need is incredible. Second um, is how Moonshot can help with regionalization um, or consolidation. And I don't mean privatization. I mean, there's a lot of really small utilities, no matter how much you optimize them. Working by themselves, they just don't have enough scale to gain efficiencies. So how can we help smaller utilities still remain public, but work together on things? So if 10 utilities, small utilities did AMI rather than each one separately, how much transaction costs you'd save? They could share on a technical expert. They could learn about it all at once rather than each one doing it over and over and over again like it's different. Um, and so Moonshot wants to help on that front. There's too many little water utilities struggling on their own, and we need to do something about that. Um, and then third, this technology adoption and trusted advisor. It's just to my brethren, and w- what I wish I would have had is being able to serve in that fashion, um, all in the sense of and, and, and building the partnerships that enable the adoption of the approaches that I know exist that will save money and make water more affordable and cleaner. Those are the two most important is make it affordable for people and make it cleaner and we can do it. And uh, no, we're just fired up about that. Well, that sounds great. Um, I'm starting a new uh, format this year for the podcast and I'm asking uh, all of uh, my guests the same question to cap off the conversation. Um, And so that question is what's the most important thing you've learned in this business so far and from and this should be really interesting coming from someone who's had such a wide range of experiences in the industry. Um, the most important thing I learned in the business so far was one of the first things I learned um, as I was thinking about applying to become GM of DC Water. So I thought it was a terrible idea at first. The mayor wanted me to apply. It was an independent authority. And I didn't really like DC Wasa. Um, and I thought of it as a sewer facility. And I, I regulated it. So I, NPDS permit, you're discharged, you're a polluter. And as I thought about it, and this was a ch- true transformation of me, and it usually always happens that when a place changes, no, it's about people transforming. And I was the one who transformed first. When I started thinking about the water world and realizing a wastewater facility is not wastewater. It's not a, a, a company that's making a product that has pollutants as a byproduct. It's taking everybody's pollution and on their behalf, cleaning it for them before returning that water, which came from the the nature in the first place, back to nature. It's a recycling facility with the most important element to all of life. And it it is the most important message. I think it is the strength of Xylem. It's not only it's wonderful products and smart people and all the rest. It's the underlying ethic of we're doing something and solving issues on a topic that really matters. 
And it's as a result, yes, we're publicly traded for Xylem or for DC Water, we're a public utility, but our underlying purpose is literally the health and well-being of every living organism. Think about that one. Every living organism, not just one or two. When, when NASA looks for life in the universe, they look for water first. It's element essential to everything. And we get to do that. And that's why I think the people who are in this industry have this underlying ethic. Sometimes it's a little hidden. And by drawing it out, it's almost like watching a flower bloom. Because I, I remember when I went back to the team and said, water's life. And, but I, you're an environmentalist. I remember it was a big staff meeting. And so you think of your, no, you're the most important environmentalist in Washington, D.C. And what I could see was people in the, sit up a little bit more. Something they felt inside, they never heard anyone say it about themselves. And one of the things I would say to my friends at Xylem is you are environmentalists at your core. Yes, you may be making products, selling products, whatever the heck you do. What you're doing is fundamental to the question of whether this species and all the other ones are going to survive on this planet. And what is more important than that or cool or interesting or innovative, but that's the lesson. And I take that lesson with me every day. Wow. Well, um, George, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with me today um, and all of our listeners. It's it's just really wonderful to know that you and your team are out there solving water at such a high level um, and that also we at Xylem get to partner with you in this effort. If you'd like to learn more about Moonshot Missions, check out the show notes for the link. And if you'd like to be a guest on Solving Water or have show ideas to share, please email me at amanda.holloway at xylem.com. Thanks. The Solving Water podcast is produced and distributed by Xylem, a global water technology company of more than 16,000 employees committed to solving critical water and infrastructure challenges worldwide. Stream, download, and subscribe.